Hello, Goldmine readers and now listeners. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine and goldminemag.com. I should say this is the second podcast in November, right after Thanksgiving. I bet all of you have stuff from Turkey, and it's time to get down to talking about our guest. Our guest is Travis Pike. Travis Pike is a, a very creative and interesting phenomenon. Um, he was recently recognized again by State Records, that's an English, an English record company, and put out a 45 of Travis Pike with the Brattle Street East. And that's what you might be hearing in the background here. And uh, in fact, that is what you're hearing in the background here on uh, Travis Pike's YouTube channel. Um, anyway, you could get that 45 from State Records. It's uh, the great garage type song called Watch Out Woman in the 60s. And uh, on the B side is a song called The Way That I Need You. But anyway, let's give a little background about Travis Pike if you haven't heard already. Um, Travis started out as his father was a producer of movies, uh, mostly B movies like Demo Derby. And uh, there's a there's a movie called Feeling Good in 1966, which uh, he used Travis's uh, music, Travis Pike and the Brattle Street East. Watch Out Woman was one of those one of those songs. And that's what you're hearing in the background. And he then went to Hamburg in the military and he got to play as Teddy Pike um, in the Hamburg scene. And was kind of quite a quite a hit there and it was right after the Beatles had been there uh, and then he came back and that's when he toured a lot in the Boston area and created this movie uh, this music and movie soundtrack uh, he went on to create more music became involved in animation and now years later uh, he has lots to um, he put out another album called uh, feeling better Kind of like the sequel to Feeling Good, the soundtrack to the movie. And then uh, also he put out uh, something called Grumpus, which you'll have to go to his site and check out. And also we'll be talking about um, what would be good to give give someone for Christmas. We have our holiday picks. Uh, we have our Christmas record picks, Christmas music picks. And we also talk about uh, some of the stuff that was on sale on Black Friday. And uh, the co-founder of Record Store Day talks about what you might have missed and what were his top five picks. So we'll be right back after this message. Uh, we'll be talking about Christmas first and then we'll get to Travis Pike. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine. The Music Collector's Magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. Okay, my buddy and co-host on CygnusRadio.com, the Goldmine Radio Hour, as Ronald Webb and Ronald and I talked a little bit about a great Christmas gift uh, for anyone into the Beatles, uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the film. Now that's with the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton. Some 
didn't like it. It flopped at the box office, but uh, it's a lot of fun, and especially for Beatles fans to watch together in a group. Uh, here's a clip of Ron and I talking on the Gold Mine Radio Hour, which is every Sunday at 7 at CygnusRadio.com. That's Eastern Standard Time. Here's a clip. What, what are you holding in your hand, Pat? Well, I know it's a little late. Sergeant Pepper's anniversary of the 50th has passed, but for a good Christmas gift, yeah. here's Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, the film. Yeah, the Peter, Peter Frampton, Frampton Bee Gees. Yeah. And it's movie. out by Shout Factory and Blu-ray. Um, I dig it that it's in Blu-ray. Now, you're a bigger fan of this than I am. <laughs> of course. I saw it at the movies. It was so campy. I loved it. Oh, Aerosmith you saw that? Really? It. Yeah. Yeah. What did you... Th- my what favorite part is Aerosmith, but uh, there are some... Alice Cooper, Steve Martin, Donald Pleasance, uh, Sandy Farina. I could go on and on. Like, Billy Preston's at the end of the movie. I don't want to talk about George Burns. <laughs> well, I didn't understand the George Burns. Why don't you want to talk about it? Uh, he's Mr. Kite. Because that's the bad part of it, right? Yeah. You know what? He sings Fool on the Hill. He gives an attempt at doing it, but to me, <laughs> fail. I do like to, you know what's not mentioned? Earth, what? Wind, and Fire. Yeah. Got to get you in. Got that's to a get great you cover. In. Yeah. So I would say, all in all, what would you give this? I, 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 I say it's worthy of any Beatles fan. Eight and a half to me. Yeah, so you know it's an um, it's on Blu-ray, so this yeah. makes a good Christmas gift. It's essential to me. Yeah, <laughs> because Aerosmith just jams. Well, yeah. thank you, Ron, for being on the podcast. Okay, thank you. Uh, I just wanted to ask you what you thought of this because I know I've heard you say how much you like this. Yeah. So everyone, go check it out, and it's on Shelf Factory. It's on Blu-ray. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, the film. Yeah. Okay, in our latest issue, uh, Dave Thompson picks three worthy holiday gifts. This is our holiday gift guide, their box sets. The first one he picks is David Gilmore, Live at Pompeii, the Deluxe Edition. And it's, it's almost 50 years after he performed there at Pink Floyd, and Gilmore returns to the Roman ruins in Pompeii in 2016 for uh, two solo performances which are now in a slew of CD, vinyl, DVD, and Blu-ray souvenirs. Um, you know, the thing about Live at Pompeii, the Pink Floyd um, version was great. This one is on Columbia and David Gilmore. Uh, Gilmore um, and it's, you know, any edition is almost for any budget of uh, Gilmore Live at Pompeii including a 4LP vinyl version. Um, however, it's the deluxe edition that Dave Thompson picks, which features the best of the two concerts of David Gilmore over two CDs, and again, across two Blu-rays. Uh, and it's a lot of bonus footage, documentaries, a photo booklet, of course, and a guide to Pompeii itself, four postcards, and a poster. Lots, lots of little goodies in there. Um, I mean, if you've heard it already, you know that's already damn good. But anyway, the second one he had talks about was Mothers of Invention, absolutely free. It's an expanded edition. Um, and, you know, among all these 50th anniversary celebrations that have been in uh, 2017, uh, many missed the Mothers of Invention second LP back in 
back in May. Um, absolutely free. And a few more. Um, you know, I think that he thinks the absolutely free expanded edition by Universal uh, makes up for lost time. It's a brand new remaster of the original album. It's taken from the analog, the analog tapes. It's accompanied by a second disc featuring 20 minutes of additional rare and unreleased footage, material that is. There's also a reproduction of the rare 18-page lyric book booklet that uh, the booklet that was only available by mail order back in '67, and today costs more than this entire package. So, um, this is the another one he recommends. The last one is Bruford, uh, 1977 to 1980. Seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, if you're a prog prog rock lover. Uh, this should be on your shopping list, Dave Thompson says, um, because it's out by Madfish and boxes up to eight discs worth of former Yes, King Crimson, and Genesis. Uh, it's Bill Bruford's work. Um, it's That's all four albums plus a 1980 live show, a disc of outtakes, fresh stereo and surround sound mixes of both 78's Feels Good to Me, and the following year is One of a Kind. There's a 16-page booklet, two black and white 10x8s, um, one A3 size color poster, accompanied live at the venue, and even a signed numbered certificate of authentication. So that Dave, uh, Dave goes over all the box sets, and those are his three picks for Christmas. Now, we did have some Christmas Christmas music that we picked from Jillian Gar, and her favorites were um, Christmas with Elvis and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, she also liked, and that's on RCA Legacy, she also liked Black, Blackmore's Night, uh, the Deep Purple Rainbow Guitarist Richie Blackmore, of course, and singer-songwriter and Blackmore's wife, Candace Knight. She's been on the, the podcast before. Uh, the album is Winter Carols by Minstrel Hall Music. Um, she also goes on to say that uh, Cheap Trick Cheap Trick put out one of the best uh, Christmas albums this year. Uh, it's called Crit Cheap Trick's Christmas Christmas on Big Machine Records and it features modern songs like Run Rudolph Run and three new ones from the band. Um, and then lastly, she talks about uh, Herb Albert, and uh, he releases, um, he hasn't released the holiday album since 68's Christmas album, and now comes the welcome release of the Qu Christmas Wish on Herb Albert Records, uh, backed by a symphony orchestra and choir, and it's obviously Albert's uh, trumpet that is the star of the uh, record here. Um so those are her picks for um, the best of 2017, and that's Christmas music. Now, lastly, I want to talk about if you missed going to the record store on Black Friday or any local record store, uh, Michael Kurtz from Record Store Day, the co-founder of Record Store Day, picked out his five, if you missed it. One is Paul McCartney's 7-inch single. Uh, actually, there are two of them. It's uh, Paul McCartney with Jimmy Fallon and the Roots. Um, this is not as good as the original, but it's it's unique and a collectible. And on the other, there are two of them. 
One has the Decemberists on the B-side. The other one has Nora Jones on the B-side. Uh, two, there's uh, Greg Lake's I Believe in Father Christmas. And uh, that one uh, reached number two on the charts, just behind Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody at uh, one point in time. And uh, Record Store Day is uh, proud to honor Greg. You know, he passed away, and this is a fantastic 10-inch, if it's still around, um, featuring both the original version and the ELP version. Um, also, Utopia, uh, a unique Todd Rundgren uh, record uh, that Record Store Day did for Black this Black Friday. Uh, the best songs from Utopia's POV album um, and the original demo versions uh, of these three songs. Uh, of And they are fantastic to hear. Both both Todd and Willie Wilcox's versions are um, arguably better than the uh, versions on the album, the original album. Uh, there are also liner notes, extensive and written by Paul Myers, who... The author of Wizard, A True Star, Todd Rundgren in the Studio. Uh, fourth, uh, there's Papa John Creech's first album. And this one is a personal favorite of Michael Kurtz. And uh, he likes it. That's on Purple Vinyl. And uh, Culture Factory puts it out. Um, he thinks it's a one of kind. And it's hope it's still in the record stores for you to buy. And lastly... Um, the box set that he's proud that Record Store Day releases, Grateful Dead. Um, the first, the five LP Grateful Dead Records Collection box set uh, con uh, containing Wake of the Flood from the Mars Hotel, Blue for Allah, Blues for Allah, sorry, Still Your Face, two LPs. Each album would be faithfully replicated, housed in a slipcase in a book containing liner notes. And iconic photos of the band. It's limited to 5,000 copies. Um, I have been to record stores after Black Friday and seen copies around. So that's that's good news. Um, they aren't sold out. There's still some lingering. So maybe you could still pick them up. So I uh, hope you like those that little rundown of what we recommended. What Goldmine recommended for Christmas, the holidays, and what you might have missed for Black Friday. And after this message, we'll be back with Travis Pike. CygnusRadio.com presents Wingnut's Psychedelic Bubblegum Shop with your host, Ronald Webb. Hey, boys and girls, you want to hear some of those super fantastic groovy tunes? Well, step inside my retro flashback show. It's got that sticky sweet guitar fuzz that you'll hear of the one-hit wonders, the B-sides, the LP cuts, the obscure rare tracks dashed along with some Saturday morning TV-themed schoolhouse rock and those campy movie trailers. Right here on CygnusRadio.com, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern. And rebroadcast Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. Can you dig it? Mr. Pike, how are you? Good. Is this Pat? Yep. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. I want. I, I find your story fascinating. I read the uh, your book, Odd Tales and Wonders, and I love how you grew up in the middle of it all, and your father was a filmmaker. But isn't it interesting that how you intersected with your father with music? And yeah. began using your music for his soundtracks. I just found that um, it wasn't really 
serendipity. It just, I don't think you planned it. It just, there was a lot of creativity going on in the house. Uh, he did not encourage me in motion pictures. On the contrary, I, I felt really, I had to come home from school, change right. and get the hell out of the house. That was not, you know, my idea of what a great life would be. But uh, I was discovered in the middle of having to fight everybody in Newton Center, uh, a car pulled across in front of me one day, and I'm looking which way do I run, because mm. it was up against the lake behind me, right? And this really kind of two big guys got out of the car. Young men, I mean, well, college, well, not even college, high school kids. And I was junior high school. And here are these two big mushes, as they called them back there. That's sort of a French-Canadian word. It means fly, but basically they look like giants who come to destroy you. Um, and they asked if I was Teddy Pike the singer. Huh. I said, cautiously, I'm Teddy Pike. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm not quite sure where this was going. I don't know who told them I was a singer. I have figured out how it happened. Uh, one way to avoid getting into fights every day is I had a rowboat, and I used to row out into the lake. <laughs> and I'm out in the middle of the lake. Nobody could pick a fight with me. And I got my dog, who's really a sweetheart, but she's a, an English setter. That's a good-sized dog. And she loved to go out there because I used to sing to the ducks. I had this whole quacking uh, crowd that were my fans, right? Mind you, the people who lived around the lake were not quite as energetically interested in right. me at first. But, you know, that was the days of transistor radios. You hang it up to your ear and you sing along with the heads. So, and feed the ducks breadcrumbs, but you throw them really far from the boat because the dog, of course, was going to collect ducks if they could. Anyway, so I'm guessing now, I, I was, I've never known quite how, but I guess that I had developed a reputation as a singer mm. because of singing out in the middle of the lake. Right. But whatever it was, these kids had a band and they had they could get a gig if they had a singer. And so what they wanted to know is would I come to a rehearsal with them? Mm. Well, you know, they lived two towns away so they hadn't didn't have to pick a fight with me. That was a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> right off, that was a, a boom. And the next thing was, well, yeah, I, I know all those songs and things. Sure, I'll give it a shot. So they, the one who could drive, he was old enough, uh, took, my, took me to uh, Teddy Stanhope's house. And that's all I, I remember his name. And I remember, uh, I can't really remember the other kids. But he had a garage. Talk about a garage band. He had a garage. He had some amplifiers. He was a guitarist. His friend played saxophone hmm. and the guy who drove was the drummer and our rehearsal was do you know this do you know this do you know that <laughs> and as soon as I were they said, Beatles oh, were they asking Beatles songs or were they asking Chuck Berry there were or? no Beatles the Beatles didn't exist yet so this we was know. what 60 no this was 1958 ah. right no Beatles not, not the so they were asking about Elvis basically they're asking about Elvis and the Everly Brothers and of course Chuck Berry, and I love Sweet Little Sixteen because they's really rocking in Boston, you know. Right. <laughs> so the thing is, uh, I we just stood there and they name a song, and if I knew it, usually it was the other way around. I'd name a song and they'd know it. But they were quite good, you know. They're yeah. young guys, but they were they were really quite talented. And they put a microphone in front of me. Big mistake. <laughs> Suddenly, I had amplification. 
Now, mind you, I used to sing so loud that the people around the lake would call the police after Rhoda the other side. So I'm curious what like necessarily what, needed it. So you were singing like Elvis songs out on the lake. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Anything that was on the radio. Anything that was on the radio. Woo Ginsburg hmm. was uh, W M E X, and of course W B Z had a had a signal that went all the way to Indiana. Interesting. So, uh, you know, we heard lots of stuff, and I, I was out there just singing away, and they took me on. Our first gig was in a sock hop in a Catholic church basement. And you called and, yourselves? And they called themselves the Jesters. Yep. Okay. And I know nothing about this whole performance thing except I got a microphone. Right? And I get there, and here's all these really young-looking kids, my age and younger, who show up and take off their shoes, and Father McNulty, I think, was his name, but whoever the guy was, the first thing when we arrive and we're setting up, he starts laying down the law. If he says stop, we stop. If there's foul language or anything, we stop. We don't <laughs> the rules. And one of the rules was that if kids came to the show or to the dance and they paid their buck to get in, if they left there was no stamp on your wrist or anything. You had to pay a buck to get back in, and that mm. was to discourage children from going out and getting drunk or something. Yeah. I, well, that was so foreign in my head. I didn't come from that kind of a neighborhood where anybody could afford booze. So this <laughs> was a whole new idea that young kids would want to go get drunk or something. But anyway, so we're doing this, by the way, for the enormous sum of five dollars which certainly would cover the gas money in those days i think a gallon of gas was like 26 cents so if the car didn't burn oil you could get around for a while but uh so we went there we did the show and at first everybody was pretty quiet and then we had a break well i didn't know what broke nobody told me what broke but yeah. we had to stop so we stopped and i found out that every 40 minutes you get a few minutes off and you can have a a soft drink or something well, that was kind of a drag because I had nothing to do for the next 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I got into the routine of it. And then these little girls, well, little girls, uh, I suppose they were 13, 14, whatever. Right. Big eyes. You know, everyone had long hair in those days, usually with a stick and a piece of leather that held down the back in a ponytail. Right. And they come up and they say, do you know I'm just a lonely, lonely boy? And the answer is Yes. And would you sing that from uh, Edith to Robert? Interesting. <laughs> so, so it's like a, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a jukebox for all these kids. And I don't know how many times I had to sing I was a lonely boy, you know. <laughs> it sounded it like you that. were quite a natural from the beginning uh, with yeah. this. It was, it was an easy gig for me. You just jumped right in. No and planning. I, but you were creative, I, so. It was safe on the stage. Yeah, yeah. See, down in Newton, where I thought life would be all, you know, roses and highlights and so on, everybody was picking fights with me. But in Needham, which was between Natick and Newton, it was sort of the, the neutral ground, I was a total unknown. And, and so, because of that, yeah. I went what I was. If I got up on stage and right. sang, the singer. There's a beauty in being anonymous and... You know. Yeah, and in being on stage, I wasn't in the crowd. I wasn't competing with anybody. I wasn't right. talking to anybody I shouldn't have, or so whatever, you know. Now, at this time, you were what age? So your first time on stage was what age? I would say 13. Wow. 
That's pretty good. But it was so now you got all these girls the same age, uh, <laughs> thinking you're a star. So oh yeah, and some of the fan mail was so silly later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this progressed, this progressed, and God, you you had quite a following by reading this book. That uh, everything that progressed from there got just better and better in that area. Uh, it did. Yeah. And the funniest thing, you get a fan mail from a little girl somewhere who would say, you probably don't remember me, and you probably won't have time to answer this letter. It always starts out with all the disclaimers, right? And then she said, but I was the girl in the blue jumper who <laughs> held your guitar while you were signing autographs. Oh, I remember her perfectly. <laughs> Poor kid, she probably didn't get an autograph. She was holding the guitar, you know. Now, you had to take a break. You went into uh, the military, correct? In in Europe. In Europe, yeah. in, what we called the oversect. You were in Germany. Yeah. And and the thing I find fascinating is you were where the Beatles were, where they basically learned how to play so very well in Hamburg. Uh, you were there before them, correct? No, they were actually there before me. But Oh, that's right. That's right. I remember in the book. And, and none of us had ever heard of them. They, they hadn't, you know, made anything. When happen. you were there, did they, anyone mention, like, the Beatles or anything? Nothing was Two mentioned? Two things happened while I was there. And I did hear of the Beatles. The first guy who was the auto mechanic, same thing, auto mechanics in yeah. Germany become my friends. Uh, when he found out I was a rock and roll singer, that was his other love besides automobiles. Yeah. And he started taking me around to all the clubs. Well, the difference was, you didn't get money, you got booze. Well, yeah. I'm not a drinker. Yeah. So that wasn't working out was so great, except that I was popular. Yeah. However, the thing with him is, he uh, did the same thing about introducing me everywhere. And I was singing in all these clubs where they didn't really have a singer, and they certainly didn't know the words. Mm -hmm. You know, they're singing everything by rote. Interesting. So, so I'd get in there and I'd sing it accurately and already I sounded like the record. You know? So it's amazing. You got to experience exactly what, kind of like what the Beatles experienced, the same kind of clubs. Yeah, yeah. and I did hear them. And this, this, I meant to say, this kid who was the auto schlosser, the yeah. mechanic who worked on my car, he played me the first Beatles song I ever heard on his guitar, which was uh, pretty horrible the way he played it, and yeah. sang it but it was my Bonnie my wow. body flies over the ocean. Let me tell you, I didn't get excited about the Beatles because of the way <laughs> Frank played that song. Later, while I was still over there, uh, a song came out. Now, by then, I'd heard Komm gib mir deine Hand and Sie liebt dich. Yeah. That's, you know, those are those, they were big all of a sudden. So there was a song that came out by a group of girls called Ich wünsch mir zum Geburtstag einen Beatle, which means I want a Beatle for my birthday. <laughs> And that was a big hit. So, yes, I did hear of the Beatles. I had never seen them. I thought I was introduced to them once until I realized they weren't in the country. So somebody was pulling my leg. Well, it must have been fa fascinating that when you hear the stories about them, you know exactly <laughs> what oh, the, yeah. they're talking about. And he said, you know the streets, you know the clubs, you yeah. know everything. And did you dress up in uh, the black leather like the Beatles, the rocker look? No, no, the thing, that was interesting, because Travis is not a name that falls easily off German lips. Yeah, okay. that's why you chant, yes. Because uh, Volkswagen isn't Volkswagen, it's right. Volkswagen, right? Right. So Travis, Travis, 
on Treffy's and all this stuff. We so Teddy, Teddy so was... My nickname was always Teddy, probably from my middle name, Edward. And so I just said, look, call me Teddy. You can say Teddy, right? Everybody can say Teddy. <laughs> Let's do that. And then when I was first introduced, and I think it was at the uh, Star Palace in Kiel, hmm. um, a German colonel wanted to hear me do some rock and roll. So naturally they would say... The, you know, the guy walks up and he says, you, Ben, put him on. You, go sit down. <laughs> but anyway, uh. so I got to go do a couple of songs, and I did two. The first one I did was uh, Heartbreak Hotel. Wow. Now, I'm in a place where the PA system is to die for. And suddenly I have, it's, you know, it's as good as anything you hear in Carnegie Hall. So I'm standing there, and I get to do a song that I start. They come in afterwards. So right off the bat, when I do the first line, the whole room falls silent with shock. You know, because it's a place you can sit and drink. Well, they don't drink anymore. They just shut up. <laughs> and then as I did the song, they they came right up out of the chairs. They, and I, it, was, it was great. Now, I only did, you know, the three-minute version. <laughs> that was the record. And I thought I was done, and I was going to get off. And there was a lot of screaming and yelling, which was very gratifying. And they're waving at me, go back and do another, go back and do another. Now, I did. I went back and I did what I say for about 20 minutes. But I'd never had an audience. When I purred into the microphone, they purred back. <laughs> no, it was insane. I can, ima I can imagine. And Another you you did a lot of, you were quite the showman, too. You would jump off of the stage. Uh. Yeah, well, nobody knows. My great dancing, my twist sensation, that's mostly martial arts, but we won't tell them that. You know? <laughs> the thing that scared me about that introduction yeah. was, I and I knew enough German, I had taken some German in high school, and by then, having been in Germany for maybe a month, uh, in a in a phone place where I had a long-haired dictionary, an old lady, and all we did all day was talk, so my German was getting pretty good. And when they introduced me, they said that I was uh, Schallplattenstar und Schlagersänger. Well, Schlagersänger mm. is a hit singer. That was accurate. Schallplattenstar was a recording star, oh. and I didn't have any records. Right. So I was embarrassed. I'm, I'm, somebody's going to come and arrest me. <laughs> they said... It doesn't matter about that. It's, you're what we say you are. You know, you're whatever we say. So that was kind of a of a stunner too. Well, that you know when, I mean, if it weren't for going into the mill, I mean, you really upped your game, and then you come yeah. back. And what happens when you come back? How do you reconnect with the music? Okay, scene? first of all, while I was there, they they put together a band especially for me mm. that was fabulous and. Within the few months that we were together, we were getting inquiries from Polydor and Phillips mm. Records. So the Tristanzacion, I guess, was doing pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> but I got wiped out by an armored truck. Right. And so I came back on a stretcher, and I went into Chelsea Naval Hospital, where they eventually uh, did bone grafts and stuff to reassemble me so I could at least limp around. And that's when the new jesters, who were the younger brothers of the old jesters, <laughs> came to me because they had a they were in Natick High School and they were having a talent contest and there was a band there that was I guess pretty good and these guys were their competition but 
my guys or the new the new justice didn't have a strong singer and the other guys apparently did and so even though it would disqualify them from the talent contest by bringing in a ringer the young justice or the new justice as they called themselves wanted me to come in and sing for their uh, talent show and uh, I was on crutches you know, mm. so just getting up on stage was going to be a problem. Well, and my father, who, as you may have gotten a feel for this already, was not exactly the normal guy. We never played baseball. We never played catch, none of that stuff. So, but he volunteered to drive me to Natick to the high school, huh. which was a stunner. And then he sat there in the crowd to see what went on. Now, he knew that I had done pretty well in Germany, well, but he didn't know what I did. Well, he was proud of you. Well, at least he was giving me a shot. Yeah. So I got up there and I did my four songs and of course the the place, you know, I was afraid the roof would fall in. There was so much racket and yelling and all this. So apparently that went over really, really well. And my father was so impressed that he decided he would make a rock and roll movie and star me in it. And that was Demo Derby? Was that Demo no. Demo Derby happened on my way to Germany. I missed oh, it completely. But he did I, use your songs for Demo Derby. He did. What yes. happened is he said to me, I, I went home on, on leave. You get like a week off before. Ah, that's right. I remember that in the book, yeah. So I go home on leave, and I'm waiting to see my two friends, or however many I had in that town, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and the family. And he sticks me in his screening room with a Nagra uh, recorder, and my guitar, and I wasn't a great guitarist. That wasn't my, my shtick. I was a singer-dancer, I guess. But he says, so you, you, he'd heard the songs I was writing for my musical, Longren, which was at that time meant to be a feature cartoon. Mm. And so he said, well, you write songs. He said, well, come up with something for Demo Derby, because that had been my idea that he should make a movie about it. And he showed me the footage, and I said, well, you need to have a rock score. And yeah. he said, so write something. Thanks, and he left. Now I'm sitting in the damn screening room all by myself, right, with a guitar. So I I knocked out a song, and I mean knocked out a song. I wasn't in there more than a half an hour, and I was bored out of my skull. So I knocked out something quickly and said, I'm not going to sit here in the screening room. And I went out and got the boat, got the dog, and went out into the lake, you know. But... And that's all I knew about until I got a flyer arrived in the mail in Germany saying that the thing had opened and that it featured a title song by me and Arthur Korb, who did arrange it, and he's the guy who brought in the Rondells to sing it. Huh. And that movie played all across the country, not in every situation, but it played all across the country in thousands of theaters, more than six, and I've heard as many as like eight. And then later, it kept playing for like 10 years because of NASCAR. And it played with the Beatles' Hard Day's Night. That's very cool. And that, and, but I missed out on that because I was in Germany. Right, 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 but still. My first meetings with the Beatles never happened. But you could but buy that DVD. I was on the same screen with them. Right, know. and you could buy that DVD from you. I mean, you have it on DVD. <laughs> yes. so. I, it's finally got around to own, I own it. So now what I what I heard um that really fascinated me was State Records putting out this 45. I like State Records as it is. Um how did you connect with State? Did they see your YouTube site? Yep. Uh, 
Okay. And what happened? What happened is uh, I put him up on YouTube because I finally got what was left of the film. There'd been a terrible flood in Rhode Island, mm. and everything was destroyed. And my younger brother, three years later, finally got around. Not my youngest brother, my younger one, the one who lives in Manchester, New Hampshire, got around to getting what was left of it, and he sent me the cans that were rusted shut. Now this is Feeling Good, your father's movie? okay? And that's the feature film that my father made because of what happened at Natick High School. Right. So, you know, it it is kind of a big, wild mess, isn't it? But uh, the film did not do very well. Mm. Uh, But the songs were good, but, you know, it just, it was mismanaged, I think, in its release. And it wasn't a great, strong film. He was a big fan of Richard Lester. And he was trying to do something sort of like The Knack and How to Get It. Yes. Which probably nobody but me remembers. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, my father was not Richard Lester. So his movie just became a hodgepodge. It was raved about for how beautiful it made the city of Boston look. Yes. And I got some good press out of it. They liked my voice and my songs. So yeah, you do You do come off very well in there. Yeah. So I finally get these reels, and there's, there's really only, of a five-reel movie, I got a total of five reels that came out three numbers, uh, three, four, and five, and then one that was four and five. So I really only had three reels, and they were in terrible shape. I took them to Deluxe and I had them open the cans because I was afraid to even open them. Right. Who knows what would fall apart in there. They did and they cleaned it up the best they could and they transferred it for me so that I could see it. And when I did, it was terribly, terribly disappointing. The color was gone. The widescreen was still wide, but the color had just turned to rubbish. And the soundtrack sounded, however, really pretty good. Yeah. But... Then, when I put him up on, on YouTube, there was a guy up in Canada who has a blog, and he he heard them or looked at them, and he said, the best rock video of that year, meaning a couple of years ago, mm. was made 50 years ago. 50 years ago. I saw early, that, yeah. And it was me. Boy, I like that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I agree with him, but hey, his opinion is certainly as good as mine. Well, Watch Out Woman is a darn good song. Um, how did State Records, uh, did they remix they, it? You know what they, no, there was nothing to remix. They took it right from the, or I took it from the soundtrack and mm. sent it to them. So it's from the optical mono track. I like wow. it. It sounds good to me. It sounds like a great garage band, and I like garage bands um, yeah. from that oh. period. It, it it was great, and Adam and I had, without a movie, not knowing there was any pieces of it left, Adam's my youngest brother, quite yes. a lot youngest brother, uh, he and I had recorded songs from it, and of course I called them feeling better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Adam's on the cover with you of uh, Odd, Odd Tales and Wonders. He helps you out a lot. Yeah, and do you see how, how tiny he is? Yeah. He was when I say my baby brother, mm. you know, people think I'm just being a smartass. No, I'm. that was my baby brother. He's sitting <laughs> on my knee in that picture. And I recently wrote a thank you note to my mother. <laughs> I said, Ma, thank you for this wonderful baby brother who <laughs> turned out to be such a talented young man. I love him dearly, yeah. and I thank you. Well, it's... It- 
I tell you, this uh, it, it is amazing that this this gem that uh, you put out with State was never released before. It's just, it just, I don't understand how, you know, at that time it was Travis Pike and the Brattle Street East and Watch Out Woman and The Way That I Need You. And it's yeah. just, it's unbelievable that those, especially Watch Out Woman, was never really heard besides, you know, someone but, who might have seen the movie. But did you see that all the sailboats started out on the other side of the Charles River? Yeah. By the time I started rocking, all the sailboats, I kept thinking they were going to run ashore. You know? <laughs> but it's it's a great, they printed, I mean, they pressed 500, right? Yeah. Um, can our, our readers still buy? Are they still available? Yes. Okay, yes. great. And incidentally, some of them are now being sold by people over here. I mean, yeah. I won't mention the name of the magazine who bought a bunch and they're selling them for them. So you but, could uh, you could go to staterex.com, yeah. at yeah. staterex.com, and uh, you can get them from there. Now, that's, do you sell them directly? No. Okay. No, I don't. But they also did another thing. If you watch that video yeah. that's up on YouTube, yeah. in the way that I need you, when people say, well, that sounds like that should have been an Elvis song. It was meant to. Mm. <laughs> my, my, my brief was, we want it to sound like American rock and roll. Right. This is the answer from the Northeast to the Beach Blanket movies, which unfortunately had also run their course by the time my father got around. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, if it was meant to be like an Elvis song. And so the, the one that we have left, somebody, there was a cut in it. You know, somebody had broken the film and they taped it back together. Mm. Not taped, they used the glue in those days. But um, so it had a little bit of skip in it. And I told uh, my friends at State, I said, hey, you know, what you see is what you get. This is, there isn't any more. There's nothing to remix. You have an optical soundtrack on the film. I can turn it into something I can send to you. And I did. And they said when they got it and they had gone through it in the studio to clean it up and do whatever they had to to make it work for them, they said they were able to fix that glitch and they did. Mm. That that little hiccup in it was gone. So, goody for them. I mean, <laughs> and they've been and they've been really, really very nice to me in terms of advertising. They've got a lot of radio play overseas. Yeah. Well, so, I highly recommend it to uh, Goldmine readers. I played it on the Goldmine Radio Hour. Uh, I think it's a wonderful 1966 garage sound. And it sounds, you know what? It sounds timeless. It sounds relevant today. Uh, some bands, you know, they played around with the psychedelia stuff, and it they kind of got dated. Um, but this is not... Watch Out Woman is especially not dated. It sounds like it could be... Uh, an indie rock band today. <laughs> so you know the funny thing is because I I'd forgotten a lot by the time I got around to recording stuff with Adam. Now of course I remembered that song. I still had the lyrics and so on. And yeah. I recorded it. But when I first wrote it, I wrote it for the Five Beats, my band in Germany. Yeah. I never got to go back there, but they did. Go, the songs went into the movie without the sax player, you know, and that kind of thing. But. As I saw it on the film clip, this after I had already re-recorded it with Adam, I realized, no, that was one of my audience participation numbers. Mm. And in the movie, 
The band did the answers. Hmm. But in real life, I would have done my yeah, 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 and the audience would have yelled back, yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. And that kind of stuff always works. If you can get the audience, you know, participating in what you're doing, that that's magic. So I didn't do it with the answer phrase on the new report. <laughs> and the answer phrase in the movie was just a band. But now that I've seen it, I know if I ever do it again, I'm going to get the crowd in on it. Well, lastly, you went on to do many creative things, whether it be animation, writing, and now you're doing, if people don't know, maybe you can explain your newest project a little bit. Okay, well, there's two. The one that's about music is uh, Changeling's Return, and the album that is attached to that is uh, Mystical Encounter, Songs from Changeling's Return. That's a musical that uh, I created originally way back in 1963, it turns out. I was working on that. No, I'm sorry, 73. Yeah. (laughs) Forgive me, I lost a decade. It was in 73. It was at the height of the What's Your Sign and astrology everywhere, witchcraft stories. You could buy candles here in Santa Monica and all that. I began it as a sort of a 20th century Faust American rock musical. Hmm. And then I enrolled in Cal Poly Pomona in a multidisciplinary studies course that was experimental, but perfect for me because I was an independent scholar and I was already multidisciplinary. So that reinvigorated my interest and excitement about the environment. And so it became this really rather fabulous fantasy adventure that takes place partly in the other world, the Celtic other world, and partly back here in Britain because there had been Romans in Britain, so I could bring in the Greek Romano-Greco mythology as well as the Celtic mythology to make my story work. So that one I just released this year in a big rush, which is unfortunate because it's got a few mistakes that slip by. But uh, I was invited to participate in the Los Angeles Festival of Books, which is the biggest book fair, apparently, in the whole country. And I was representing the New Playwrights Foundation, and so were some of the other authors from that group. But they had all brought in their novels. And I said, wait a minute, we're New Playwrights. Nobody brought in a play. (laughs) Nobody brought in a screenplay. So I rushed it into print. And I kind of half wish I hadn't, although the story and the, and the explanations in it are wonderful. I'm not ashamed of them at all. All right, that's the And the music, yeah. Yeah, that's how, and it's, it's quite good. Yeah, I, I agree. I plan to eventually clean it up, but, you know, that's... The music's quite good, you're right. Okay, the other one is not new. It's 20 years ago. Mm. And again, if, if on the one hand my piece is about trying to save the planet... The other one was Grumpus. It was an right. epic narrative rhyme. I originally wrote it to amuse my suddenly overnight daughter, because when I married my wife, she came complete with one child. Yes. And that became my daughter, right? So, and I had to kind of win her over. She was very quiet and and not not forthcoming. Yeah. But when I played guitar or sang songs or, or performed my rhymes, which go all the way back to my working in coffee houses, that, I, I could see her light up and she hung on every word. So I wrote a short version of Grumpus, which is to say it was probably no more than 10 minutes long. 
And that was mostly to amuse her. And then I got a gig in California on a Monday night while everybody else was watching football, I guess. So nobody was coming to this little club, and would I come in and do sort of a coffeehouse kind of a thing? And I needed the money, so I did. And I expanded it then for the first time. Hmm. Subsequently, over the years, it expanded and expanded and expanded because it was a wonderful story and it just got better. And finally, uh, when I was hoping to make it into a feature film, everybody turned it down because nobody could imagine a feature film performed entirely in rhyme with a narrator who also is in rhyme. Mm. And that was kind of sad. But uh, to get it through to the studios in a way they'd understand, because on the written page it just lay there like, you've got to be kidding me. Yes. And so I had recorded it in character voices. Remember, I used to do animation. Yes. So I did it in character voices, and I submitted the tape with it. And all I got out of that was that now that I have the tape, I don't have to sit here for two hours and read it to everybody who comes to <laughs> So I got to actually sit back and listen with them. And one of those meetings in 1995, I think it was, yes it was, a professor of English at uh, a school in Massachusetts, uh, gee, I can't think of the name of it now, but she was a, an English professor and she was uh, teaching uh, seminars and things on Homer and Virgil and you know all this great oral tradition and what have you. Mm. And when she heard Grumpus, it blew her away. She said, this is incredible and we can understand it. It's in English and it's today. So it's not in translation. Could she have a copy for her classes? Mm. Well, I was flattered, sure. She was nice, you know, gave her a copy. And I got a letter two years later asking me could she use it in still more classes. And she raved about it and how she had used it. And so uh, I showed that to a couple of my friends. And one of them said, well, you know, if you're going to pursue that, I'll put up 50 grand. Mm. And I said, okay. So then I showed it to all of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I got, I got some great responses. And in very short order, I had lined up $300,000 worth of investors just from my friends. Wow. Now. The, the thing is, I was thinking, since I had one counteroffer from a studio that I sent it to, they loved the story, didn't want the rhyme. Well, I'm not going to do that. Mm. After writing and carrying this rhyme for 30 years, I'm not going <laughs> to not do it without the rhyme. But it occurred to me that if I could preserve the rhyme, then I could make them a deal to do the movie without the rhyme. I could live with that. So I decided that maybe it could go as a television show. And I'd get an actor, somebody with a TV cue that everybody recognized, and that would make the television stations at least view it to see if they were interested. And we'd put it together as a medieval bardic uh, performance in one of the medieval halls in England, because hmm. the native language, of course, was English. And it's about a knight and his king sending him to uh, capture or destroy this huge, ferocious cat that for all practical purposes, sounds now that I know what they are, like a liger. Mm. So there I was, and I decided how to be England and all that, and I started trying to submit it. I came up with a $3 million budget in order to get the star, and my investors immediately came back to me with, you got to be kidding, we're not putting up $3 million. None of us <laughs> together have $3 million. Forget the star. The reason they were excited is the way I did it. 
Right. Oh, well, that's a lot less exciting because that's an 88 and a half minute from memory live performance. It's like the biggest show I ever did in a coffee house, only more. I knew a lot of verses to, you know, John Henry, but this thing was way past that. Can you say who the star is or you can't? Yeah, I can tell you who the star is. It's me. <laughs> because they wouldn't come up with the other money. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> so my worst nightmare was that I would have to do it. Right. And in fact, I did. Well, again, that tape that I had made, I had done it in character voices. And that time I was reading it, it was in front of me in the studio. This would be harder, yeah. Yeah, so, but now I was able to practice it against the tape automatically. So I already knew where I changed voices to which character. And that rehearsal, everyone says, how could you remember so many words? And the answer is, rhyme is nomic. Mm. It's, it, it's an aid to memory, number one. Number two, the other side of it was, well, you know all the words. And I said, yeah, I know, I know all the words. I wrote it, but it's the order they come in that drives me nuts. <laughs> so at the end of the day, I ended up doing it, and it got incredible critical acclaim, and it won an award from the Chicago Film Festival, the first time ever that an epic narrative rhyme won for writing right. for a, for a film project. So... Yeah, it turns out it was really pretty good, and behind it, I went bankrupt. Oh, I'm sorry to hear well, that. Because in in the end of the day, the 300000 to shoot it was enough. Right. Renting Blenheim Palace, the home of the 11th, then 11th Duke of Marlborough, right. birthplace of Sir Winston Churchill, and a world heritage site in the heart of England, was just dear enough that when the docent was taking my wife around the palace along with a crowd of other people, she said... Please forgive the ugly construction going on at the south facade. She says, we have to put up with it. It's paying for the new roof. <laughs> so I, I not only put up the theater, but I paid for the new roof. On <laughs> <laughs> and that's how eventually I went bankrupt. But uh, I've recovered from that now. And I, re I was about to release on its, on its official day, November 1st, which is Halloween day if you follow it from the old celtic mm. version uh what is now the 20th anniversary platinum edition of grumpus transferred from the original digibeta mm. into a dvd and it looks better than it ever looked and it sounds better than it ever sounded when it was on vhs now you're hoping to come out november 1st but it's been delayed it's still delayed yeah and I and and no one will tell me why, so I'm kind of furious about it. But but it is coming are, out. So oh, it's coming. Can it can coming. Uh, people? And I've seen it here. It looks great. Can people pre-order? Uh, I the only way they could pre-order is if Amazon allows that. Mm. And I'm, if I was Amazon, I wouldn't say yes yet. It's CreateSpace, which is owned by Amazon, that has failed to deliver. So. Uh, now, as soon as CreateSpace starts churning them out, mm. then I would expect Amazon will offer them pre-sales. Right, right. But they're too late already for Europe, because they'll never get the DVD in time, especially this time of year. Right. And they're too late for several uh, magazines and things that I had talked to who were interested in doing reviews. And, right. of course, all those issues have already, they're in bed. You can't get in anymore. 
So thank you for bringing it up because at least you well, get to mention. I do. I do recall that, now that at a record show, someone had seen uh, um, your piece in our magazine and wondered about it, um, and I didn't. You know, I didn't know if it was delayed or. Um, so it that is, must be the answer. Yeah. Well, it is delayed, but here's something now. Just because we're on the phone and when this is talking, it's live. I want to tell you a tiny piece about Grumpus. A Grumpus is not like a dragon, rather more like a large, surly cat with tremendous paws and gigantic claws and jaws that can crush armor flat. Ooh, they wide yellow eyes that watch every move. They live mostly in rocky terrain. They're peculiar aversions to vegetables. They sneeze when confronted with grain. So they live on the coast for the most part, where they're carefully avoided by men. According to fable, the beasts are unstable, worse when defending a den. Tawny gold is their normal coloring, but they turn all to stripes when they're crazed, and then even a knight might resort to flight and you and they fight silent. You'd be amazed. Just imagine a mad ten foot tabby. That was good. Thank you. <laughs> that would be good for the podcast. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I hope so. It's it's a it's a fabulous story. It truly is. And I, and I learned things when it was first released. There was one child, uh, a storyteller, and I'm one of them as well. But a storyteller who had heard of it ordered one, and when her nephew came, she has no children of her own, her nine-year-old nephew came to visit, so she put it on for him. They watched it all the way through, and he asked if he could see it again, <laughs> you know, immediately, you know, yeah. over again. And she said, well, sure, but why? What is it about it that makes you want to see it again? And the kid said, because it's all about doing what's fair. Yeah, yeah. And let's think about the mantra of our youth. Right? Yes, yeah, yeah. That's not fair. <laughs> that was that was the biggest thing in our lives then. Somebody got something and we didn't and that's not fair. Or we have to do this, it's only fair. Travis, I feel like saying that nowadays. <laughs> yeah, but this nine year old kid had pegged it. He gave me the theme. I mean I thought the theme was yeah. about saving the children, which yeah, is yeah. another nice yeah. thing to do. But um, so it's been a really it's been a great ride. Okay, thank you, Travis Pike, for your time. Now, listeners, readers, don't forget to go to GoMyMag.com and get exclusive stuff. Don't forget to subscribe. There's a subscribe menu. You can get up to sixty-eight percent, I think it is, off your subscription and get it delivered right to your home. Otherwise, you can go to Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, or your local record store. The magazine is distributed by URP Distribution. And if your local record store doesn't have it, ask them to get it from URP Distribution. Thanks all, and I will see you in December.